0: I don't know if this is a common thing or not, but after having kids, I've gotten familiar with the conversation of the birth story. Maybe it's because I'm just a man and I've never really paid attention that some people just really love a good birth story. Maybe it's a rite of passage that when you have a child that you start talking about the birth story. It kind of feels like a rite of passage at times, and really at other times it just feels like that somebody's crossed a boundary. But here's the reality. As Christians, each year, about three weeks ago, We listen, we read, we sing about a good birth story. But in this passage this morning, one of the things that we're going to see is that the birth of Jesus, according to Matthew's gospel, isn't actually that prominent. We'll see him mention it in verse 25, She had given birth to a son. And then in verse 1 of chapter 2, we'll see it again. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. But then after that, it's not really the birth story at all that we're used to seeing in like Luke. Instead, we see something interesting here. This is not really the birth story. It is, but we could look at it as the conception story. And what's interesting is, is that I've never really had anybody ask me about the conception of Haddon or Ezekiel. And I really haven't gone out of my way to ask anybody else the conception of their child's story. So that's something we all know is way too far. That's a boundary that's crossed. And if you're a person that has asked, hey, so tell me about the conception of your child, then Maybe let's have a conversation sometime this week. Matthew's account of Jesus' birth story plays a small role compared to the conception story here. In in fact, like I mentioned earlier, it's only really mentioned here two times. Verse 25 briefly and verse 1 in chapter 2. But what makes this conception story interesting is that the conception story is being told to the soon-to-be husband, to the wife who just conceived. (laughs) Joseph, this is how your wife conceived. So I think this morning what we're going to see here as we read this passage is that Jesus' conception is slowly being revealed to Joseph. It's it's quite interesting when you think about it. So, let's go ahead this morning and let's look at this passage in three ways. So here, if you're a note-taker, here you go. Let's look at it through the eyes of Joseph and Mary, the prophet, and then the son. So, if you want to remember it like this, you can remember it like this. It's the betrothed couple, the prophet, and the son. We come to verse 18, the beginning of it. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Matthew here is going to tell us his point of view of the birth of Christ. And in doing so, he tells us that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, there, I think, are some common misconceptions about this word betrothed that I think we just need to air out for better clarity of what's really taking place here. Some people like to explain betrothal as an engagement. If you read certain um, versions of the Bible, they even use that word engagement, which I don't think is necessarily bad, but there's a difference culturally of what engagement means now to what it meant in the first century, for a Jewish person. We see that betrothal as a first century Jewish person was more of a legally binding contract that this was going to be my wife or going to be my husband. The parents would meet up. They would say, yes, yes, okay, at some point, we will have a wedding ceremony. But for right now, these kids are too young, and so they are legally married, but they have not yet been fully married. So through the eyes of a modern-day Jewish person in the first century, they would have seen Mary and Joseph as legally married. However, because the wedding ceremony hadn't taken place yet, this would mean that any type of sex would be off limits for them. And so here we see a problem that's starting to stick out like a sore thumb, because we go on to read and Matthew clearly lays out for us, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So although Mary was betrothed to Joseph, she was found to be with child. Now I don't know about you, but that's a problem. One of the things that I'd like us to do this morning is to step in as well as possible to the scene that we're in right here. These are real people that do not have the full counsel of God's Word. Joseph didn't know what was going to happen. He doesn't get the pleasure of reading the New Testament and getting the view that we get. So Mary... has conceived a child before she was betrothed to Joseph. And we read further that it was from the Holy Spirit. You see, in Matthew's account, we get the fuller understanding from Joseph's perspective of what happened. We look in Luke's account of this. We get a fuller understanding of how Mary viewed this we see in luke and the angel answered her after mary had asked how is this possible for i'm yet still a virgin and the holy uh, and the angel answered her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of god so we know that mary's expecting a child before she's betrothed to joseph we know that The Holy Spirit has caused her to conceive a child. We know that the Most High, that God overshadowed her with His power. So what does this mean? Well, this means that after Mary's visit with her aunt Elizabeth, she goes home. She has to have a conversation with Joseph. Right? Mary goes on this vacation to her Aunt Elizabeth's house and she finally comes home and she walks up the steps to Joseph's house. She knocks on the door. Joseph opens it and says, Mary, I've missed you so much. Come in. I want to hear about your trip. How is your Aunt Elizabeth and Uncle Zechariah? How are they doing? Tell me all about it. And Mary looks at him and says, Joseph, we need to talk. Can you go in and make some coffee? I'm going to go and sit down. And so Joseph, after a while, comes and brings out coffee. He hands Mary a cup and Mary pushes it forward. She's got this concerned look on her face and Joseph says, Mary, what's wrong? And Mary says, I can't, I can't hide this anymore. Joseph... I'm pregnant. And Joseph starts to laugh. Mary, I missed you so much. Nobody around here is as funny as you are. And Mary's just staring at him, kind of looking down in shame, kind of looking up in confusion. And Joseph starts to realize and his boisterous laugh starts to turn into an awkward, straight face. What'd you say, Mary? Mary? I'm pregnant, Joseph. Pregnant? Yeah, but Joseph, before you go and make any assumptions, I just want you to know I'm still a virgin. I haven't been unfaithful to you. And now Joseph, in his mind, is thinking to himself, oh my goodness, I'm about to marry a psycho. (laughs) I know how this works. She She knows how this works. She says, "No, no, no, Joseph, I'm still a virgin because an angel of the Lord came to me and said that through the Holy Spirit you would conceive a son, and the Most High God Himself overshadowed all of it. This is what happened, to Joseph. I wonder if you were to be standing in that room, if you would be able to feel the tension." This is a drama being laid out right before us. Let's think about this as if you are sitting down across from the person you were going to be married to, and they tell you, I am pregnant. I haven't been unfaithful. It's because the Holy Spirit has caused me to conceive this child. If you were not Joseph, would you not be a bit confused? Would you not be a bit angry? You probably would feel a bit betrayed that here is this woman that I was going to live the rest of my life with and yet now she's telling me that she's conceived a child. Joseph, in this moment, no doubt is thinking about his reputation. There's no doubt that Joseph is thinking and remembering how, if this gets out, my reputation is ruined. If her parents find out, her dad and brothers are going to come and find me and break one of my kneecaps. And Joseph loving Mary, and we'll see him and his love towards Mary, I'm sure was thinking about her reputation as well. Let's look at that. The next verse, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Quietly. Joseph's plan is to handle these matters quietly. He's not going on Facebook to air out Mary's dirty laundry. He's not subtweeting about Mary or the Holy Spirit using a hashtag. He's not taking to Instagram Live to share everything that's happened. He's not sitting down to write an open letter. Why? Because we are told something about Joseph and who he is here. Joseph is a just man. Or what we could do is we could also translate this as a righteous man. If you read in Genesis, if you read this past week, you would have read about a man named Noah. If you were reading through the Bible in a year, you would have with us, you would have read about a man named Noah. And Noah was the only righteous, God-fearing man on the earth. When when there is this title, Joseph being a just or righteous man, it means that he was a man who feared God. So we know that Joseph is a man who loves God, who fears God, who worships God, and we see this play out. How do we know this? Because of Joseph's relationship with God, because of his fear of God, his worship of God, Joseph does not want to. In fact, it says that he is unwilling to. Joseph is unwilling to put Mary to shame. Joseph's relationship with Mary God caused him to be merciful to Mary. This doesn't mean that Joseph doesn't seek justice for what he believes to be true. Joseph's ignorance makes him believe that Mary has been unfaithful. And so, the law said that you could divorce your wife. And so Joseph is in the confines. He's in the structure of being able to divorce Mary. But if this were to come out, there would be big problems for Mary. This could possibly or potentially lead her to be stoned to death for being unfaithful. But here we see that Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, does this quietly. If Joseph were to divorce her, this And air out this dirty laundry, this could possibly and potentially cause Mary to be single for the rest of her life with a child. Which in that culture during that time would have meant ruin for her and her baby. But Joseph was a just man. He was a righteous man. He was a man who feared God. He was unwilling to put Mary to shame. So he resolved to divorce her quietly. We see Joseph's mercy towards Mary. You see, one thing that we can look at while we're going through this is the fulfillment of the virgin birth. This was a prophecy that we will see in the next verse, or, or a few verses later. And, and what we see is that the fulfillment of the virgin birth causes Mary and Joseph's faith to be stretched and their character to be tested. So here's a question, friends. Do you care about your character? We see here clearly that Joseph's relationship with God, his fear of God, causes him to be a just man. A man unwilling to put Mary to shame. He was unwilling to humiliate the woman whom he was betrothed to. And so if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, then the posture of our hearts should be humble, and merciful like Joseph's. Even when we are wronged, and even when it seems like we have been wronged, even when we've been betrayed by the closest person that we know, we are able to be merciful. How is it we're able to be merciful? The closer we are in our relationship and communion with God, The more merciful we are able to be towards those who even seem like our enemies. You see, Joseph was a just man. We see this before he even knows what's about to take place. Does your relationship with God cause you to be a just person to those around you? Does your relationship with God cause you to be merciful and compassionate? Does it cause you to be patient? Because the the life of a Christian is one of love towards God and towards others. You see, if we're abounding in gossip and slander towards others, then the fruit of the Spirit we are not bearing in our hearts. We see Joseph is betrayed, or at least what he probably feels like, is betrayed in one of the most intimate ways possible here on earth, and yet his righteousness led him to be unwilling to put Mary to shame. we continue to read on, starting in 20. But as he considered these things, he pondered and thought upon what Mary had told him. He considered them. As Joseph went for a walk, he considered what Mary said. As he sat in his thinking chair, Joseph thought. As he considered what was going on, as he went about his day, he thought about what Mary had told him. So when you are met with confusion and are at a standstill and you just don't know why God is allowing you to go through what you're going through, I think Matthew Henry helps us out here. He, he says about this particular passage right here that those who would have direction from God must think on things themselves and consult with themselves. It is the thoughtful, not the unthinking, whom God will guide. When he was at a loss and had carried the matter as far as he could, he's talking about Joseph here, in his own thoughts, then God came in with advice. Note, God's time to come in with instruction to his people is when they are non-pulsed and at a stand, God's comforts most delight the soul in the multitude of its perplexed thoughts. So as Joseph is contemplating and considering and he sees this as, I am perplexed. Then in God's sovereign timing, he meets Joseph. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, the son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he he will save his people from their sins. As Joseph considered these things, as he was perplexed, as he was thinking about what Mary had said, he fell asleep. And as he fell asleep, an angel of the Lord met him. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to him, he confirmed everything that Mary had been told. That yes, Mary did conceive and bear a child from the Holy Spirit. And yes, this child would be the Savior. He would save people from their sins. It was God's plan that the Son of God was to be born of a virgin to save His people from their sins. And so Joseph is met in his dreams by an angel to tell him, yes, everything Mary had said is true. It's true. And not only is it true, but the child she's bearing will save His people from their sins. This is what Christ's coming through the Virgin means. It means salvation to those who trust in Him. The incarnation is the fancy theological term here. And the incarnation means that Christ has come. That God has come. He has come to save His people from their sins. Do you trust Christ for your salvation? Do you trust Christ as your Savior? The One who came from a virgin? It's almost as if the angel is saying here, Joseph, Mary, she's not lying. She's telling the truth, so don't bail out on her now. And what she said is the truth. And I have been sent by God to confirm to you what Mary was told, that she would conceive a son through the Holy Spirit and that this son would save people from their sins. Matthew is going to do something that is important for us because as readers, we could walk away and say, so what? Yeah, right. How is this possible? How is this true? But instead, what Matthew does for us is something that we will see as common in this Gospel. He quotes a prophet. Matthew tells us in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. In case any readers, then or right now, are having a hard time with what's taking place, this conversation that Joseph is having with Mary and then Joseph is hearing from the angel, Matthew lays out what one commentator put it is his fulfillment formula. This is going to be something common that we're going to see here. Matthew refers to this was fulfilled or this took place to fulfill this or this was the fulfillment of what this person said. What is it that the Lord spoke through the prophet? Well, through the prophet Isaiah, he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is maybe one of my favorite names of God. Emmanuel. God with us. God had Isaiah speak this prophecy way before Jesus came on the scene. Matthew's readers would have understood that. They would have known what the prophet Isaiah would have said. What great comfort this should bring us knowing that the God who created all things also humbled himself by being born of a virgin to come and End well with us. But I know that many people look at the virgin birth as almost unbelievable. There are people who do not believe in Christ that will say this is the reason why. Science tells me that there is no possible way for a virgin to conceive. Well, maybe not then. There might be scientific ways now, but certainly not then. Science proves that this is impossible for their time. And there may be some Christians who struggle with this thought as well, that Jesus really came through a virgin? However, I wonder if I can just say this. I wonder if I can say this and you keep your tomatoes in your pockets. I don't... I I don't think that this is even the most impressive miracle that God does. Let me explain to you why. If, If you're not a Christian and you're here with us today, thank you so much for coming. I would just ask that you would just hear me out here. By definition, something that is unbelievable that takes place is A miracle. And I believe that the virgin birth is certainly a miracle, but I don't think it's God's most impressive. Here, let's look all the way back in Genesis. In six days God created lights, atmosphere, space, stars, planets, solar system, airs, air, trees, animals, atoms, protons, neutrons, vegetables, sea creatures birds of the air, you and me. And guess what? God did this out of nothing. Nothing. He didn't snap his fingers and there was stuff there. He didn't cross his arms, wiggle his nose, and then nod his head like this. He took nothing and God created something. Because God created time and space, it should be easy for him to allow a virgin to conceive a child. So I'm asking that what you consider is that maybe what you're looking for is is a reasonable explanation on how a miracle takes place. Let me try to answer this for you this way because God is God and we are not. He is able to act and work outside of logic and reason. He is able to do unexplainable things because He is the Creator. He is able to do the unbelievable to display His glory and carry out His plan. And so just because we can't fully comprehend doesn't mean that God can't do it. It means that we aren't on the same level as God. It means that we aren't on the same wavelength as God. We are... Not God's equal. We are God's creation. But not only does the prophet speak of the virgin conceiving and bearing a child, we are told that this child would be called Emmanuel. God with us. This is the the theological term, as I mentioned earlier, the incarnation. Paul kind of fleshes this out a little bit more for us in Philippians chapter 2. That God, not counting equality, with himself, a thing to be grasped, emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming like one of us, being found in human form. God with us. God is is keeping His promise to Abraham that we saw last week in in the beginning of Matthew. He's keeping His promise to David by coming Himself to establish the forever kingdom and to invite the nations to worship Him. This is a God who is faithful to keep His promises. He's faithful to keep His promises so much so that He says, I will come and do it Myself. We have a God who's worthy of our worship. I know that we love as hard working Wisconsinites to work and work as hard as we possibly can. We don't work hard on the weekdays to have fun on the weekends. We work hard on the weekdays to work harder on the weekends. But how quickly do we fool ourselves into thinking that this is how my relationship with God is then pursued? That my salvation is up to me to carry out? That the work I can offer you, God, is sufficient to forgive me of my sins? And yet what we see is a God who is keeping His promise by being born of a virgin to come and save His people from their sins. Why? Because we cannot work hard enough, long enough to save ourselves from our sins. And so God does it Himself. This is the free gift of grace. For those who believe in Jesus can have that gift. He has come to save His people from their sins. You see, God overrides the system. He surpasses logic and reason and causes a virgin to conceive and bear a child. And although Joseph was confused and contemplated, God revealed that this was in fact His plan. And so we see here at the end of this account how Joseph responds to God's will. This will help us understand the type of man that Joseph is and should really challenge us and encourage us when we are in a season of confusion and contemplation. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So here it is. Here's Joseph. Here's his response to hearing about his wife conceiving a child and it not being his. He obeyed. He obeyed the Lord's command. I wonder if we were in the same situation as Joseph, if we would respond the same way he has responded. It's important to remind ourselves how Matthew presents Joseph, a just man, a righteous man. And here we see a vivid illustration of, of Joseph's trust and fear in his God. Being as confused as possible, no doubt, having to trust that what his wife is saying is actually true, he doesn't know her, he refrains from having sex with her, in case he was tempted to say, well, no, this is actually my child. And when time came and she had given birth to a son, he called his name Jesus. Joseph didn't divorce Mary, but stayed with her. Joseph didn't know her sexually until the child was born. And when time came, he named the boy Jesus. We see the righteousness, the the obedience towards God's command here. So, Better yet, let me ask this question to you. Has there ever been a time in your life when your current situation just made no sense at all? Absolutely confused you to no end. Left you going to sleep confused, caused you to wake up confused sitting there and asking, why did I lose my parents? Why did I lose my spouse? Why did I lose my child? This came out of nowhere. When you're sitting in the doctor's office and they say, I have some concerns that I'm seeing. When you get fired without a reason from your job, when it seems your friends are ignoring you because of your faith, or when your marriage is imploding in front of your eyes by really no understanding or doing of your own, how have you responded? In faith, trusting what the Lord has written in His Word? Here is a man who no doubt was scared confused about what God had just thrown at him, and yet he still submits himself to the Lord's plan. Church, in God's kindness, He has given us His Word so that when life makes no sense at all, we can look to His promises and trust Him. When anxiety comes, We can trust Him that He will feed and clothe us. When our enemies rise up, we can love them because He is the ultimate judge. When we don't think we could possibly forgive that person for what they have done, we have the Spirit of God who is able to help us and who is our helper. Joseph is learning here that he absolutely has a God that he can trust. The God that Joseph trusts is the God that I trust, and I hope is the God that you trust. Ultimately, what we're seeing in this account that Matthew is writing is that God is sending his son and has chosen Mary to do so. What a privilege a privilege! And we see that although Mary and Joseph may be confused, may be worried, may not really fully understand what's taking place, we see that they fear God and their trust is in God. And it leads them to obedience in what God has told them. Let's pray. Father, far too often we are confused at what life throws at us, so would you please cause us to trust in your promises more? We thank you so much that you've sent your Son, Jesus, born of the Virgin, to come and save his people from their sins. We thank you for Joseph being a just man, an example to us. Would you cause us to trust your word more?